0: We'll keep you posted about what's happening next. And finally, please subscribe to this podcast, and don't forget to like and share these recordings with your friends, because it matters what you think.
1: We had uh, proclaimed to us this morning, both in the reading from Hebrews and in uh Father Damien's homily, um, the high priesthood of Christ, which I'm going to talk about in this uh, this talk, and and Mary as um, the perfect participant in Christ's priesthood uh, and um, uh, the model for our participation in the priesthood of Christ. Um, So let's begin by asking our Blessed Mother uh, to pray for us for a deeper understanding And a deeper participation in the priesthood of her Son. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Mother Mother of God, pray pray for us us sinners, sinners. now now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, mother of the church, Mary, seat of wisdom, pray pray for us. us. So you have a uh, an outline of uh, of my talk uh, for for this morning, a fairly detailed outline. Um, Actually, uh, Lauren asked me yesterday, "Are these these your notes, or are they for the uh, for the students?" And I said, "Uh, "They're for the students." So uh, it's a fairly detailed outline. uh, Sometimes uh, a detailed outline um, is maybe more. Difficult and helpful, but anyway it, it contains most of the of what I'm going to say. So we're going to begin by talking about what liturgy is um, and then move to think about precisely this question uh, the issue of theological matter, which is of great importance of the high priesthood of Christ. So the term liturgy uh, is a direct borrowing from Greek okay? um, uh, the Greek term that we render into English as liturgy uh, is liturgia, uh, and what it means is public service. Okay? Liturgia is, uh, is a public uh, action or service, and especially a public religious service, okay? uh, or public religious activity. A re- an activity directed toward uh, toward a god. So this this term liturgy predates Christianity. It's uh, it's a uh, a term that you can already find in um, in ancient Greek sources. So uh, liturgy is the public service of God by uh, by the community, and a, a liturgos, a related word in in Greek, is a uh, liter- literally a liturgist. Nowadays, a liturgist is someone like Father Innocent who studies liturgy, but a lighter ghost is then a minister of liturgy, someone who leads liturgy, who leads the public service of God. So liturgy is the church's public service, and service is always to somebody or for somebody. Service has an object. Service has someone or maybe even something who is served. So the liturgy is the church's public or communal, as distinguished from private, as Father Innocent was saying last night, the liturgy is the church's public or communal service of God. It's what we do as a community to serve God. The central and most basic liturgy of the church, of course, is the mass, and that's the liturgy that we're focusing on this weekend. But there are other sorts of liturgies of the church, public communal service. And we participated uh, in uh, Vespers, for example, um, and that's uh, liturgy. And um, Father Innocent can, can correct me if I'm wrong, but the the um, Adoration and Benediction is a liturgy, um, which has a large space in it for private uh Uh, unstructured prayer, that is to say prayer not um, uh, engaged in in a common way by the whole community. Um, Now, if we stick too closely to the notion of liturgy as our service of God, we might miss something that I think is quite crucial. If we think of it as our service, then we may think of it as only an action directed by us to God right? So it's what goes up from us to God. Now it is that, but the liturgy, the church's worship, the church's public and communal service of God, is also, and in fact, first of all, the liturgy is something that comes down to us from God. The liturgy is an action of God, and then it is what we do toward God. so, The liturgy is a gift God gives us. And only because of that gift is it what we direct toward God. He gives us the gift in the liturgy of directing our lives to him in the hope of eternal blessedness, in the hope of eternal union with him. And I think we can get at this idea of liturgy as what God does for us just as much as what we do for God by simply sort of bracketing the idea that might go with the notion of service, that service is something that you do for someone who's over you, okay, someone who's a superior, um, who can give you an order, okay, do this, and you do it, and it's a service, uh, in a sense, to that person or, um, or community. But of course, God is infinitely superior to us, yet the liturgy is as much what, indeed, first of all, what God does uh, as much as it is, uh, and indeed, secondarily, what uh, we do. So we can think of liturgy, not simply as service, but as what one person or community does for another, what one does for another Uh, service. Is what one does for another. Again, we typically think of service as lower to higher, but if you just think of it as what one does for another, then liturgy is both what God does for us and what we do for God. Now, it's crucial to see, I think, and essential to a Catholic understanding of the Mass and of any liturgy, that liturgy is at one and the same time both what the triune God does for us and what we do for God. You can't divide the liturgy up and saying, "Okay, here is God doing something for us, and there is something we're doing for God." All the actions and words of the Mass and of any Catholic liturgy are one at, at one in the same time. First of all, what God does for us, and at the same time what we do for God. In the Mass, God himself gives us the words and the actions by which we believe in him. We undertake our own action of believing in him, calling upon him, praising him, loving him. The words and deeds of the Mass are, as a whole, God's gifts to us gift to us. And that means not simply that what's written in the missal is something, you know, God handed down at some point, but our, what we actually do, what we just did an hour ago in mass, we did as recipients of God's gift as living out the gift of God, that we would speak and act in this way. God opens up and offers to us, his own most intimate life, his own triune life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He does this to us, for us, in the very human and seemingly ordinary words and deeds that he gives us to say and to do in the Mass. So again, it's not that what God does in the liturgy is one thing, and what we do in the liturgy is something else. There's no sharp line that can we, we can draw between the two, between what God does and what we do. Rather, what we do is itself God's gift to us. What we do is itself what God first does. The triune God comes down to us, the triune God meets us, opens up his life to us, gives his life to us in the words and actions that we offer to him and direct toward him in the Mass. So I think it's crucial to remember this fundamental point. Again, no no bright line between what God does and what we do. Nonetheless, I think it's useful for the purposes of understanding or for analytical purposes. It's useful to think, first of all, about the Mass as what God does for us. And then second of all, which will be my my second talk, the first talk will really be about the Mass as what God does for us. Focusing on one and the same thing, the words and actions of the Mass as what God does for us. And then the second talk will be more on what we do for God the gift of ourselves to God that takes place in the Mass. That'll be my my second talk. And the gift of ourselves that we offer, as Father Damien proclaimed in the Mass this morning, is precisely the sacrifice of our redemption. So my second talk will be about the sacrificial character of the Mass. So that's point one on your outline. So let's go to point two on uh, the Mass and the high priesthood of Christ. So the New Testament, especially the letter of the Hebrews, which we are reading at the beginning of the annual uh, ordinary time cycle in daily Mass, uh, the letter of the Hebrews especially teaches that Jesus Christ himself is a priest. He is, in fact, the great high priest. As Hebrews 3 said, we read from Hebrews 4 this morning, but as Hebrews 3 says, the apostle and high priest of our confession. One way of thinking about that or looking at that is we confess him as our great high priest. The notion of priesthood is fundamental to humanity's relationship with God throughout the Bible. Certainly priesthood is fundamental in the Old Testament, especially in the religion of Israel. A good deal of the Torah, or Pentateuch, um, as it's sometimes called, the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, is concerned with priestly actions. What the priest is to do at God's command to maintain the people of God in intimate connection with God, or quite precisely, to foster and preserve God's indwelling among the people, and indeed, even more precisely, in the temple, right? If God is to remain in the temple, the people have to offer certain sacrifices, gifts that God has commanded to be offered. Um, the priesthood of the Old Testament, which is a very rich notion uh Uh, in the Old Testament, both anticipates the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the great high priesthood of Jesus Christ, but also is a a contrast to it, that the priesthood of Christ fulfills and perfects the priesthood, both of Melchizedek, as as, uh, the letter to the Hebrews emphasizes, the mysterious priesthood of Melchizedek, who blesses uh, Abraham uh, in Genesis 14, who comes with gifts of bread and wine, uh, not an accidental uh, indication there. Melchizedek uh, comes with gifts of bread and wine uh, to Abraham. He's the priest who has no genealogy, who um, he has no, whose priesthood has no beginning and no end. Um, uh, but also the priesthood of Aaron, the priesthood of the, uh, of, of the Levites uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament, are both anticipations of the priesthood of Christ and also are perfected by the priesthood of Christ. Now, a priest is fundamentally someone who offers sacrifice to God, okay? A priest is someone who offers gifts to God, not arbitrarily, but in accordance with God's command, okay? um, There's a great story in Numbers 10, okay, um, where two of the sons of Aaron... Uh, the great, you know, the high priest, not the great high priest, but the high priest of, of the Jewish people uh, at the time of the Exodus and the wandering in the wilderness, of the sons of Aaron, whose names I'm not uh, immediately uh, remembering. Um, there's a fire of the Lord on the altar, okay, for offering sacrifice, for offering burnt offerings. That fire has come from God, okay? He has lit it on the altar. The Sons of Aaron um, decide to bring their own fire to the altar, okay? I mean, fire they're not commanded to give, and it doesn't end well for them, okay? Uh, fire comes forth from the Lord and, con- you know, incinerates them, okay? I mean, uh, uh, consumes them, all right? So don't offer sacrifices on your own initiative, okay? Offer the sacrifice that you have been commanded to offer, um, and that's what a priest does in the Old Testament, uh, and that's what uh, any priest does in uh, in Christian understanding. You know, someone who offers to To God, the gifts, um, and especially the sacrificial gifts, I'll talk more about that in the second lecture uh, or talk, um, that God has himself uh, bidden or commanded us to give. So a priest is a human being set aside to approach God in worship on the community's behalf. A priest approaches God in worship on the community's behalf. The priest is both a member of the community, so he makes an offering for himself, but he also is making an offering as a representative of the whole community. You may be aware that in, um, in Protestant communities, I'm a convert from Protestantism myself, um, ministers are not called priests. Okay? Um, they're called ministers. Uh, sometimes pastor, but pastor means shepherd. It doesn't mean uh, it doesn't mean priest. Why are they not called priests? Because they don't offer sacrifices. Okay? I mean, this is part of the um, sort of basic difference between uh, traditional Protestant worship and tradition and the Catholic Mass or traditional Catholic worship. So a priest is someone who is set aside to approach God in worship on the community's behalf by offering uh, gifts to God. Um. Jesus is a priest in just this sense. He offers a gift to God. But his priesthood is different from any other priesthood. It is the supreme or high priesthood in all creation in several different ways. So what makes Jesus our great high priest, as distinguished from simply a priest, is first of all that his priesthood is eternal. This is especially in Hebrews. Okay, um, if you haven't yet memorized the letter to the Hebrews, I strongly encourage you to uh, to read it frequently um, and come to know it well. It's such an important part of, of Scripture for the understanding of the Mass, for the understanding of of, uh, of our worship uh, as Catholic Christians, and it's one that we don't spend enough time on. I think that it we we need to be more familiar with it than we typically are. So the priesthood of Christ in Hebrews is first of all eternal, Okay, The Levitical priest or the priesthood of, of Aaron, the priest is made a priest and then ceases to be with his death. The priesthood of Christ has no beginning and no end. And it's particularly the no end part that's crucial. Uh, And again, we'll talk a bit more about that in the second talk. The priesthood of Christ is eternal. He is now our great high priest. And our worship depends on him now being our great high priest, as I'll say more uh, on that point in a minute. So his priesthood is eternal. Second of all, it's final. It is the perfection of priesthood. And there will be no new or further priesthood beyond his. Because the priestly act that he undertakes in the upper room and on the cross, the offering that he makes to God can never be surpassed or improved on. So that's essential to what makes him the great high priest, is the offering That he makes. And again, Hebrews is very concerned about making this point that this is fundamental to the contrast between the Levitical priesthood, which was certainly given by God, but was given to prepare for and anticipate the supreme priestly act of Christ. And a third way in which the priesthood of Christ is unique uh, is in what he himself offers, namely. That he offers himself, or he offers his body in love, which is to say, he offers his whole human and divine reality to the Father in an act of love on the cross. So, again, Hebrews makes a lot of this point. He doesn't offer something else—sheep or goats, okay, which were commanded by God, you know, in the in the Old Testament, uh, bulls and, and calves, you know, and their various sacrifices that are commanded. But the priest offers something other than himself. This priest. Our great high priest offers himself in his priestly act. So he is, to use some standard and traditional language, uh, both priest and victim. Um, He's our our great high priest and victim sacrifice for our sins. Um, The Mass emphasizes this, um, particularly in the the Roman Canon, the first Eucharistic prayer, um, which uh, Father Damien generously employed uh, in Mass this morning. Um, He is hostiam puram, hostiam sanctam, hostiam Immaculatum, uh, a pure victim, a holy victim, a spotless victim that is on our altar who has offered himself uh, and offers himself now to the Father. So Jesus, then, is the true minister of worship, okay? He is the the priest, right? The priest in a unique and complete and final sense. Uh, He alone is worthy to approach the Father. He alone can offer an act of worship to the Father The creature's supreme worship of God, he alone is able to offer. Okay? So we need a great high priest. We need someone in whom we can approach God because on our own, apart from him and apart from his priestly act, we cannot approach the Father. And again, I'll talk talk more about that in some respects in the second lecture. So Jesus Christ as, as priest as high priest, offers all of creation's, the creatures, supreme and perfect worship of God. But, of course, Jesus commands us to worship God. He doesn't simply say, well, I'm going to worship God, I'm going to offer the perfect priestly act, and you, you all can just watch. Okay, um, he Rather, he says, no, no, you worship God. You must worship God. So, how does this work? Well, since he alone can offer pure worship to the Father, our worship depends on his. Okay? We can worship the Father in spirit and in truth only in union with him, only by sharing in his priesthood, as Father Damien emphasized. Now, St. Thomas, in a beautiful passage, uh, makes some, uh, an observation on the way that our worship, the worship of both priest and people in the Mass, depends on uh, the high priesthood of Christ. Um, I'm going to uh, read this passage. It's a couple of sentences. Um, it's a very rich uh, passage, and I've given you the a brief quote from it on the outline, and then uh, where you can find it in the third part of the Summa Theologia. So St. Thomas says this, Each of the faithful is assigned either to receive or to hand on to others those things that belong to the worship of God. It is for this purpose, for the worship of God, that the sacramental character is given. I'll talk about that in a second. For, St. Thomas says... The whole liturgy of the Christian religion flows from the priesthood of Christ. Therefore, it is obvious, this is still St. Thomas, therefore, it is obvious that sacramental character is in a special way the mark of Christ. To whose priesthood, to whose priesthood the faithful are conformed by different sacramental marks. These marks are nothing other than ways of participating in the priesthood of Christ. Ways that are derived or flow from Christ himself and St. Thomas. That's a very rich text. I could give you a couple of lectures uh, to really unpack this text. But let me emphasize a couple of things here, the three things actually. First and most basically, St. Thomas says, the whole liturgy of the Christian religion, all the public service of God that we offer, flows from the priesthood of Christ. Now what Thomas says here in, in his Latin that he's writing in is that the ritus, okay, uh, R-I-T-U-S, the ritus of the Christian religion flows from Christ's priesthood. And it's rather important that he says that. He could say cultus, and he actually uses that term in this passage, but here he says ritus. That is right, R-I-T-E, okay? That the right of the Christian religion flows from the priesthood of Christ. And so I think what he means is that the very specific words and actions of the Mass, what we actually say and do in the Mass, what we're calling liturgy, flows from Christ, or it comes from Christ. It's given to us by Christ. He gives us our worship as his gift to us, down to the details of what we say and do, maybe even down to the rubrics in the missal. So it's not that we worship God. our, Our liturgy is not what we've made up in order to approach God. It's what Christ has given us so that we can, with Him and in Him, approach the Father. We know from the story in Numbers, right? What happens when you make something up to approach God, okay? Your toast. No strange fire, okay? Only the fire that God Himself gives you. Secondly, Not only does Jesus give us the right, the the words and deeds that enable us to worship God, he himself is the high priest of every mass. He himself, if you like, is the chief celebrant of every mass. What we do, both as ministerial priests, as ordained priests, and as baptized people, is simply join with Christ himself here and now, in his eternal high priesthood, to offer worship in him to the Father. Our worship in the Mass, as St. Thomas emphasizes, is simply our way of sharing or participating. Participating is just basically another way of saying sharing in. Sharing in the high priesthood of Christ in different ways as priests uh, and as people. Third crucial point that St. Thomas makes here, this is all just kind of an explication of this passage in, in the third part of the Summa Theologia. Our participation in Christ's priesthood, and therefore our faithful worship of Him and of the Father in Him, is not something that we attain. That we can just say, okay, now I'm going to join in Christ's priesthood. Now I'm, going to, now I'm going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Rather, our participation in Christ's priesthood as priest and people is given to us by Christ himself in a specific way in the sacraments. The sacraments that confer a mark. Okay? So St. Thomas talks about mark or character here several times in this passage I read. And there are three of these. There are three sacraments that mark us permanently, indelibly to use the, the standard term. Uh, three sacraments that mark us permanently as those who have been set aside for the service of God, who have been set aside for the worship of the Father in spirit and in truth, which means the worship of the Father in his Son. And these are the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. Okay? So what St. Thomas is talking about here is that the that our worship of God, and again, Father Damien, I I joked with him after Mass that he'd, he'd said everything in his homily that I'm going to say for my two lectures. It's just he said it more briefly than I'm I'm going to say it. Um, but as as Father Damien emphasized, our baptism and the ordination of the ministerial priest are two different ways in which Christ has established that we will be able to participate in his high priesthood uh, as a whole community, uh, and so uh, to worship him uh, and again uh, worship the Father in him. Um, we are, the word Thomas uses is deputat uh, or what I've rendered here as assigned. We are assigned the power and the responsibility by baptism, confirmation, and holy orders We are assigned the power and the responsibility to worship God, either in receiving the goods that come down to us in worship, which baptism and confirmation assign to us, or in handing on those goods, which Holy Orders assigns uh, to the ministerial priest. The chief good that we receive uh, in the Mass, of course, uh, is simply Christ himself, uh, who gives himself to us uh, in the Mass. The Mass is Jesus' way of giving himself to us and thereby, in giving himself to us, showing us the Father who has sent him. He who has seen me, or we could say perhaps in the Mass, he who has received me has seen and received the one who sent me. And he gives himself furthermore by giving us his Spirit who actually brings about energizes if you like the words and deeds that we undertake no donation of the holy spirit to us in the mass no worship by us okay we may think we're just kind of hauling ourselves out of bed and walking up to the jp2 center and and uh, and saying and doing some things but that's the work of the holy spirit without which we would not be Uh, worshiping God at all. So the Mass is a Trinitarian event, okay? It's an event of the Holy Trinity donating the total reality of his life to us, but in a certain way, by Christ meeting us, coming to us, and thereby showing us the Father in his Holy Spirit who enables us to do this in the first place. Now, priests and people participate or share in the priesthood of Christ at the same time in the Mass. But we do so in different ways. The celebrating priest participates as the servant or instrument of Christ by whose human action Christ makes himself present to meet us in the Mass. And by whose human action we together offer, we together offer the sacrifice of the Mass, as I'll discuss this afternoon. We, the lay faithful, Participate in the priesthood of Christ through acts of faith, hope, and love in Christ that Christ himself calls forth from us in the Mass, okay, through the actions uh, of the ministerial priest. And that's just why the Blessed Mother is the perfect model of faithful participation in the Mass, as Father Damien said, because she perfectly... Offers faith, hope, and love to the Father in her Son, above all, at the foot of the cross. So she is our model of response, participation, receiving, in Thomas's words, what is handed on to us in the Mass, what is handed on to us by Christ himself. Now, I want to uh, conclude, so now we're at point three uh, of the outline. Um, we got a little bit of a late start. How much time do we have here, Father Damien? Okay, so let me let me move, try to move fairly quickly here. Um, so, how does Christ draw us or draw out of us faith, our faith, our hope, and our love uh, in the Mass? Um, well, by what we do, by our engaging in the liturgy, by our Engaging in the service that flows directly from Christ and from his high priesthood. Um, So let's look at this just a bit more carefully. Now, some of this may be quite familiar, but uh, is perhaps nonetheless worth uh, spelling out a bit. So the Mass is divided into two basic parts. The Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. This is not a, simply a secondhand distinction that's used by you know liturgical scholars. This is actually in the missal. Okay, I mean this is this is how the mass itself is uh, is, is is distinguished. Okay, um, the liturgy of the word begins with the first reading and concludes with the prayer of the faithful. The liturgy of the Eucharist begins with the offertory and ends with the congregation's amen to the prayer at the conclusion of the Eucharistic prayer of the priest, through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father. Amen. Now the communion rite follows that, but that could also be seen as part of the the liturgy of the Eucharist. So if you take it that way, then almost all the Mass is either liturgy of the Word uh, or liturgy of the Eucharist. And then there's, there's some introductory rites and uh, the concluding rite or blessing. Um, now, I, I want to say something about the Liturgy of the Word. Okay, That's really what I'm going to say a few words about to conclude. Uh, we Catholics sometimes act as though the Liturgy of the Eucharist were really the only thing that mattered in the Mass, um, the only thing that was really essential. So that as long as we show up before the Offertory, we've been to Mass. Okay. Um, Remember, you know, as I said, we're, we're converts. Uh, my family and I, and uh, we entered the church in 2005, so been a Catholic for a decent while. Um, I remember being, you know, um, with my Protestant background, a little scandalized, you know, when when um, be at mass. You know, we'd get to mass 10 or 15 minutes early, you know, and we'd be praying before mass and all that. And then there'd be people come in, you know, in flip flops and cutoffs, you know, right right, uh, you know, before the gospel or during the homily or or whatever, you know, and 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 have a seat and said. Gee, you know, I, I thought you had to be there at the beginning, you know, um, uh, and uh, and then you know, and then it would sometimes leave after receiving communion, you know, before uh, before the the post communion prayer, um, which uh, Father Innocent very helpfully um, discussed with us last night, and before, of course, the final blessing and the dismissal. Um, uh, I thought, what in the world's going on here? Um, uh, I think we have to be clear that this is not, to use Thomas's phrase, this is not the way the liturgy of the Christian religion, okay, the, the service of God in, in Christ has been handed on to us by Christ, okay? Christ gave us both the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist as a unified whole. He didn't uh, just say, come and get your your, you know, your shot, you know, um, uh, you know, at Mass and then you're good, um, and, and you can go off, uh, go off and do uh, whatever, all right? Um, and it's certainly not what the church teaches about the mass. Um, the mass is again, both Word and Eucharist. So the Liturgy, of the Word, proclaims Christ to us in all of the infinite and unsearchable riches, as Ephesians says, of his divine and human being. or better, again, as Father Damien said, Christ proclaims himself to us. In the liturgy, of the Word, He draws close to us. He teaches us who He is and what He does for us. He opens up to us all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Him. In the Liturgy of the Word, and so He calls forth our faith in Him, especially in the Liturgy of the Word. All, obviously, also our hope in Him, our love for Him, but but especially our faith in Him in the Liturgy of the Word, and that. Faith in him is indispensable to faithful participation then in the Eucharist. Without the liturgy of the word we will have at best only a dim idea of who it is who gives himself to us in the most complete and final way then in his presence, his real presence uh, in the Eucharist. So consider, give a couple of examples, What we say at the end of the first and second reading um, uh, at Sunday Mass or the first reading at Daily Mass, we say, the the lector says, uh, the word of the Lord. Now, if we mean what we say in response, thanks be to God, then what we're confessing is that God himself has just spoken to us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to you. O God, who have just spoken to us. The lector doesn't say, the word of the Lord is written in the book that I just read. Okay. Or what I read is a more or less reliable English translation of the word of the Lord, uh, which is available to you who can read the original Hebrew and Greek. Okay. Um, He simply says, rightly, the word of the Lord. And we assent to that. The the human words you just heard were God speaking to you. This is God meeting and confronting you in the person of his son, teaching you about the unsearchable riches of his own life. So, quoting Father Damien again, pay attention. Okay, Attend. In the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox liturgy, the readings are introduced with the phrase, Wisdom, let us attend. Okay? And we don't use that precise language, but it's a great notion to bear in mind when the, the lector, whether, whether layperson or priest, gets up to do the first and second reading. Or consider what happens after the deacon or priest reads the gospel. He says, the gospel of the Lord. He doesn't say, I just read you some words about the Lord. The gospel is the good news of the Lord, which is to say, the good news the Lord, that Jesus Christ himself proclaims to us. It is Jesus himself, crucified for our salvation, risen in glory, who proclaims the gospel to us. In the Mass. In just that way, once again, He gives Himself to us. He opens up the unsearchable riches of His own life to us. And it's for just that reason that we say in response, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We address the one who has just spoken to us. We don't say, Praise to you, O deacon, okay? Uh, As if he were the one who was the primary speaker here. <laughs> He's the instrumental speaker, if you want to put it in more technical terms. But the primary speaker is Jesus Himself, and we thank Him for it. The Creed is an essential part of the Sunday Mass of the Liturgy of the Word. What is the Creed? It is our response of faith to everything that has been given to us, to all the riches that have been given to us in the liturgy of the word. And that we, no, no one set of readings can sort of capture all the riches that are given. And so we confess the sort of heart of all those riches in, in the creed, that the triune God is here giving himself to us in Jesus Christ in an ultimate and final way for our salvation. So, attend. Okay? Let us confess our faith, says you know, the priest. After, after the homily, uh, pay attention. Okay, Think about what you're confessing, and think about how it completes the liturgy of the Word with the with prayers of the people, the liturgy of the Word that you have just participated in. Now, so of course, again, the liturgy of the Mass is both the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. And the self-giving of Christ that, that begins in a profound way in the liturgy of the word, is then reaches its climax, if you will, or is completed by Christ giving of himself to us in his actual body and blood uh, in the Eucharist, in spiritual and sacramental communion with him uh, in the Eucharist. And it is finally in spiritual and sacramental communion that we have the most intimate participation that we can have in this life uh, in his priesthood. But without the liturgy of the Word, what happens in the Eucharist will not be for us a faithful participation. And the Eucharist is not simply, as we all know, not simply something that that functions or accomplishes the the ultimate good that that God intends to give us in it without our faithful participation in it. What the Liturgy of the Word does, as then completed by the Liturgy of the Eucharist, is, again, to give us the most intimate share we can have in this life in Jesus' own priesthood. It orients us to the worship of the Father, drawing us close to the Father in Jesus the Son by the gift of his Holy Spirit. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Sorry. Hi. Um, so you mentioned earlier like the difference between like priests and ministers, and I'm wondering like why don't and like why don't Protestants conceptualize ministers as priests? Like, is that something that started with the Reformation? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I'll try to give as brief an answer as I can. Not take up the whole five minutes. So the like the, the Protestant Reformation is a m- multifaceted thing. Uh, and I was Lutheran before we became Catholic. I was a Lutheran theologian. I, I studied Luther pretty carefully. And Luther's very emphatic that what we do is receive from God. We don't give anything to God. That's good works, right? And we're saved by faith, not by works. Now, that's biblical and properly interpreted. That's biblical. Romans 3, Galatians 2. But Luther's idea, and this is what I was sort of touching on in my sort of opening remarks about we don't, we don't want to divide what God does from what we do, even though we can distinguish for our, you know, purposes of understanding the mass, God's action and our action, but God's action is, has as its term, if you will, or its completion, what we do. Okay. Um, and that's exactly what Luther was against. Okay. I sort of struggled with this for a long time as a, as a Lutheran, all right? That in, in worship, there's some things that come down to us from God and some things that go up from us to God, but those things are not in any way to be associated with the things that come down from God. So the Eucharist for Luther, and it's not the only Protestant, but the Eucharist for Luther... Is Christ's real presence? That's something Catholics sometimes don't get. Luther believed in the real presence. He was very emphatic about that. The Eucharist is Christ's real presence to us. But it is not in any sense a sacrifice. It is not in any sense what we offer to God. It's only what God gives to us. Now, it's a bit of an oversimplification, but that's the basic idea. So a Lutheran minister is not a priest because he does not offer any sacrifice to God, okay. When I said we can't give anything to God, that's not right. We can, we can thank God, we can praise God, but that is not to be, in any sense, again, identified or associated or tied up with what God gives to us. So we can make a sacrifice of praise, but in no way can we offer to God a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, which is exactly, as I will discuss this afternoon, what the Eucharist is. Again, a lot more I could say about this. I could I yeah, spent hours on this, but yeah. did you want to follow up with that? I didn't want to follow I, yeah. up with that.
0: I, I just wanted to ask, like, what is the response to that? Like, how do you... I actually, like, literally just had this conversation with, like, a real loser. And yeah, okay. You also did this about the video, like, last year. <laughs> no, like, he was saying he believes in, like, the real presence. Yeah. I was like, well, why are you not the whole thing? Anyway, that was... Um, and I guess, what's, how do you, like... So how do you respond to that? Like, how do you say, like... But we are offering things to God that aren't like for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the
1: second lecture is going to be. About. Oh, okay. okay? okay I'll, I'll All right. Yeah. No, hang on. So, and, and if, if, if at the end of the second talk you don't feel like I've responded, then ask your question again, and I'll I will I will give you something to say to your Lutheran friend. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, um, in the institution of the Eucharist, I'm wondering about what sources Jesus was drawing on um, that would later develop into the liturgy or the reading that we know about. Uh, from like Justin Martyr, etc., like the things that were going on that we would call the liturgy of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, was he talking? Was he drawing on the, the Passover? Um, when you when you would start the Passover, you would recount all the things that mm-hmm. were going on for you, etc. Um, is he drawing on the synagogue? Is he drawing on temple stuff? Like what what is Jesus adapting?
1: Yeah, um, that's a subject that has been. Uh, discussed a lot um, in in scholarship uh, in a somewhat inconclusive way. That is to say, it's hard to uh, say with complete clarity what the sources are or the the sort of uh, background in the various aspects of Jewish worship, and you name several of, of them that would uh, that would feed into um, the. Uh, uh, Jesus' actions, uh, words, and actions at the Last Supper, um, in part because the actions, the words and actions of Jesus are are brief. Okay. Um, there is even debate. For example, is this a Passover meal? Okay, it seems like it is, but you know, he says, "Let's go eat the Passover." So it seems like it's going to be a Passover meal. But there are various reasons why that might be open to question. If you want to read a really good book about this. Um, uh, the theologian Louis Bouyer, B O U Y E R, a French Lutheran convert to Catholicism and then priest, um, uh, who was you know did his main work in the middle of the 20th century. Um, his book, just called Eucharist in English, um, is very much involved with this this discussion. Um, it's it's you know half century old, but it's still a very worthwhile. Um, uh, book. But uh, at a general level, I think what one has to say is, you know, Matthew 5, not, a, not an iota of the law will pass away, okay? Who is the supreme interpreter of the Torah by his own words and by his actions? What does Jesus say whenever the Pharisees question him? He quotes scripture. This is how you interpret the Torah. Okay, so at a more general level, not simply focused on the the Last Supper and, and what we can and can't know about connections with contemporary Jewish worship. At a more general level, one simply has to say, Jesus makes it very plain that without the interpretation of the Torah, you don't have the gospel. But the gospel he proclaims is, you know, written in Moses and the prophets, and he is now going to interpret it to us in a final and decisive way. Okay, thank you, Professor yep. Sorry, we can remember your questions and, and we'll talk more.
0: Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.thamisticinstitute.org donate.